Heavenly Father, you gave us the opportunity, the, the invitation to taste and see that you're good. And uh, Lord, I ask that today you give us a, a taste in your word, but more than that, you develop a, a hunger and thirst that we can find more of you in the scriptures and more of you at work in our lives because of that. Father, that it becomes a daily hunger and desire. And I just pray that until you come back for us, you prepare our hearts to always be ready uh, to give a reason for the hope that we have. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you've heard the story of a little girl like Charlotte uh, who was engrossed at the kitchen table one day with a sketch pad. She had all her crayons out and her magic markers, and she was deeply engrossed in her little drawing project until her mommy came by and said, Peanut, what are you doing? She said, Mom, I'm drawing a picture of God. And her mother was just kind of uh, taken aside. She gulped, and she didn't want to really discourage her daughter. But she said, Honey, you really can't draw a picture of God because nobody knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat, that little girl said, well, they will now. <laughs> you know, if somebody asked you to describe God, what words would you use? Just how awesome is God? How, how big is God to you? How wide is God? We all say that God is loving, but just how loving is God? How powerful is he? People talk about God all the time. In fact, this week, I've heard his name used in a variety of ways throughout the day. But who is God and what greatness does he display really in your life? I believe that, that not only does God exist, but because God exists, therefore, hope exists. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the goodness and my hope in God. You know, I... I have to make a disclaimer right here at the start of the series about our life in Jesus, and that is that I truly don't understand a lot of things. I don't fully comprehend God. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm sure glad I came today. I'm glad we got dressed up, got in the car to come hear a guy talk about somebody he doesn't know everything about. And honestly, again, sometimes that's how I feel. Because God is so great, I feel inadequate. And if you're honest too, Sometimes because of what you face in life, you've got questions too. There's a lot of things that you don't understand about God. For instance, I can't grasp the eternal nature of God. I know that the scripture says in the psalmist words in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were created, before the earth was formed, you are God without beginning or end. That's a, a wonderful thing to capture and to believe, but, but without beginning or end, that's hard for me to grasp because I've had a beginning and I will have an end. There's a day on this planet when there was no such thing as a Bill Warax. It was a much quieter time, obviously, and people actually got to eat lunch on Sunday at time before Bill Warax came along. Uh, people got to their tea times quicker. But in fact, there was never supposed to be a Bill Warax. See, after my sister was born, my mother gave birth to my brother, Van Allen Warax. There were complications, to be sure, there were issues, and Van Allen only lived a matter of days. Mom was sick, and, and she was heartbroken, and, and Dad was ready to just move on. He was ready to get rid of the high chair, get rid of all the baby paraphernalia, and yet a year later, God decided to give Mom and Dad a bonus baby, and that was me. Uh, some... People referred to me as the replacement baby, 
or the unexpected baby. Frankly, I refer to it as the golden child. That, that's, uh, May the 14th, 1967, Bill Warax had a beginning. But here's something that boggles my mind. The Bible teaches that God never had a beginning. That our God that we serve, that we believe in, is from everlasting to everlasting. And I don't know about you, when I think about life eternal sometime, honestly, of a life that goes on and on and on forever, sometimes that raises questions for me that give me the eebie-jeebies, okay? I mean, it, it just goes beyond my small mind. What are we going to do? I get bored on this earth sometimes, and there, I know I'm never going to be bored, but how? Even more mysterious is a life without end that did not have a beginning, and God chose to reveal himself to us out of his existence with the simple words that begin the scripture, in the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth. But let me tell you, that, that's one of the reasons that I believe so strongly in the existence of God. I watch shows on National Geographic and channels just like you do, and scientists will try to explain the existence of God or the universe, and they'll talk about origins and how this world began with a big bang. And honestly, I don't have an issue with that so much because I know that even a big bang had to have something start it. So I ask, you know, where's the masses? Where's the energy? Where's all the matter come from that led to what they would call a big bang? Can you explain to me original cause? To me, the only thing that satisfies the desire within me and that original cause is to know that there is a God who has always been. There's a God who can speak planets and, and worlds and life into existence. But I've got to tell you, my brain is just too small to wrap itself around the eternal existence of God. There's another thing that I have trouble understanding sometimes, and, and that's the mystery of the Trinity. Now, I think all of us are pretty familiar with the concept of the Trinity. If you've ever been here to see a baptism, you've heard somebody speak the words, I baptize you, as, as Sarah was a couple of weeks ago, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you remember that old hymn, right? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God in three persons, right? Blessed Trinity. Or maybe if you didn't grow up in the church, maybe you just remember that old Don McLean song, right? American Pie. You guys remember that? And the three men I admire most, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, caught the last train for the coast the day the music's died. And we were singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Those good old boys were drinking Kool-Aid, uh, singing, this'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. Now, by the, by the slight singing, that tells me I've got a lot of older people in this community because you know that song. But maybe that's the first time you heard the concept of the Holy Spirit. But I think it's a concept we're all familiar with. The Bible teaches very clearly that the Father is God, that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there is only one God. And I get that but I don't get that at the same time. It's a mystery that I can't explain, and people for thousands of years have tried to explain that. I've heard people say the Trinity, it's like an apple. You know, God is the outside of the apple, the, the, the peeling and the meat of it is, is Jesus and the seeds inside. That's the Holy Spirit. 
I've heard people describe the existence of the Trinity to the three forms of, of matter with ice and water and vapor all being of the same composition. I've even heard people try to explain the, the concept of the Trinity with Neapolitan ice cream. You know that nasty ice cream you buy that you can never get just the one flavor you want? But I've heard people say, you know, God the Father is like the chocolate. Jesus, he's like the vanilla. The Holy Spirit is like strawberry in it. But let's face it. The God of the universe is so much grander than anything we could ever describe or comprehend or compare him to. There are no words to describe the full measure of God. He is more awesome than you or I could explain or ever imagine. And friends, I don't understand the eternal nature of God. I don't understand the mystery of the Trinity. And let me just share with you the last thing that I really don't understand about God. Because I know me, I don't understand why God is so interested in me. You been there? For years, a friend of mine had a plaque in his home that an 81-year-old widow had made for him. It was one of those picture frames that are kind of open, and she had put dried flowers and plants inside of it. And with her 81-year-old arthritic hand had scribbled on the glass with an etching pen that simply said, uh, God will make a way. And I think about that. And to be honest in my time, there, there are times in my life where I've wondered, really? How? Is God really going to make a way? My friend that owns that said this. He said, I wondered too. My wife had left me for another man and I was dealing with my own sense of failure. I had my own burden of mistakes and regrets that I had to face. And on top of that, he said, I was a pastor. So I just assumed that nobody would want a pastor with a failed marriage in his past. I felt like I had lost everything, and I wondered if God would really make a way. Now, 23 years have come and gone since then, and he is willing to tell anybody who's willing to listen that God is amazing, and God made a way in his life that was greater than, than his circumstances. And honestly, he would say, uh, just as we say from time to time, I don't know why God is so interested in using me or knowing me. You see, that, that, that's a real hashtag me too movement that should be started. Me too. Hashtag David too. Psalm 8.4, he asked the question, what is mankind that you're so mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I know today, some of you, you are in circumstances, and they are big. They're overwhelming. And maybe you've just been through that first piece of salvation that we talked about last week, the box that I had you fill in at the end that simply said, it all begins with listening. And you're trying, and you're wondering if this God is really bigger than the circumstance in your life. And you're struggling to move to that second piece that we're talking about today of believing. Is he bigger than the fears that I'm living with right now? God, are you really bigger than the diagnosis I wake up with and go to sleep with every night? God, are you really bigger than the wounds and the hurts that I look at in the mirror every day? You wonder if God is greater than your past. Is he really greater than the regrets that you have? Does he really notice me, this great God of the universe, and can he make a way in my world and in my life? See, that's the question that we meet in a passage that I want you to look at today from God's word in Mark, the, chap uh, the ninth chapter. Mark chapter nine. There's a man that comes to Jesus 
And I want to begin in Mark chapter 9, just verse 14. Jesus is away, but, but in the end it says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. I mean, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now jump down to verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if, you're, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help him. Help him. Now in the time we've got remaining this morning, I, I want to share with you three truths that I, I learned in my lifetime that this man needed to believe. That you and I need to believe about this God who makes a way where there seems to be only a dead end. And I want, to, I want to ask you to read out loud with me these verses from Psalm 147. Let's read this out loud together. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble. Jesus was making his way through the villages of a region called Caesarea Philippi. When this father came to find Jesus that day, Jesus is up on a mountain with three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're up there and they get to hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, listen to him. But the man that comes to find Jesus, he only finds the disciples and his message is, this is my son. Can, can, can you do anything about it? Can you heal him? Can you make him whole? Would you touch my son? But they could not. Now the religious leader surrounding the disciples and the crowd begins to gather just to, to listen to their ridicule, to listen to their arguments, the sarcasm, just to be a witness to the train wreck of emotions that are swirling around him. And Jesus steps into their midst and the father confesses, you're the one I came for. You're the one I want to see my son. He's suffering. He's possessed. He can't speak. It's trying to kill him, Jesus. And if there's anything that you can do, Lord, have mercy and help us. Some of you, you're fighting crowds. Some of you are fighting failure and you're wondering, where's God? Does he really know? Does he really care? Does he understand my need, my pain, my life? And the first thing I'd like for you to know in this moment is this. God knows my circumstances and my needs. Friends, we've got to believe. God knows my circumstances and my needs. Remember, Psalm 147, his understanding is beyond comprehension. You see, God has perfect knowledge. You could never throw a surprise party for God. I mean, he already knows. God doesn't have to remember things because honestly, besides our sin, he never forgets. He doesn't have to project into the future because he already knows what the future holds. And no matter how much knowledge we gain, we will never know more and we will never know better than God. 
He comprehends all the mysteries of geology and zoology, of biology and meteorology, kinesiology and anthropology, of sociology and psychology and theology. And if there's any hairdressers here, he even knows the mysteries of cosmetology, okay? He knows everything. And Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says this, in the words of our Father, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that verse. How much higher are God's thoughts than yours? What's the distance between your wisdom and God's wisdom? It says, as high as the heavens are higher than the earth. How high is that? Mark Batterson wrote a book called The Circle Maker, and he writes this. The universe is actually so large, it requires a large measuring tape. The basic unit of measurement in the universe is a light year. I'm not talking buzz, okay? Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. In other words, in the time it takes you to snap your finger, light has traveled around the globe six times. Now we live in a tiny little galaxy, a small neighborhood known as the Milky Way. And there are billions and billions of stars in the galaxy in which you and I live. But in addition to this galaxy, it's estimated that there are over 80 billion more galaxies in the heavens. Not stars, but galaxies themselves that have their own billions and billions of stars, each one. Now, that's enough galaxies in the heavens that everybody that lives on planet Earth would get 10 galaxies to themselves, okay? Uh, It's an awfully big sandbox, in other words. Now, get this. If life travels, and I want you to see this, in one minute, if light travels 11 million miles, and then in one day, it travels 16 billion miles, Jump ahead with me to one year. A light year means light can travel 5,865,696,000,000 miles. I mean, we're talking national debt level, I mean, almost for us, right? I mean, it's way up there. And, And that's not even the edge of our universe because at the edge of the universe, astrophysicists say it's 15.5 billion of those light years away. And God says, my knowledge, my heart, my desire of you It's higher than the heavens are above the earth. In other words, you may think you understand God. You might think you have a grasp on how much he loves and cares for you, but you haven't even begun to tap into the resource and to the depth of that amazing knowledge and wisdom and love. In Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, the scripture says, In his pride, a wicked man doesn't seek God. And in his thoughts, there's no room for God. But friends, the depth of God and the room he makes in his heart for you, it's staggering. I love the story of the wealthy grandfather that was losing his hearing. And so one day he went to the doctor who who fit him with an expensive hearing aid. And he was able to hear perfectly for the first time in years. So a month went by, and he, and he came back for his checkup with the doctor. And the doctor said, I'll bet you, your wife and your family, they're probably thrilled that you've got this hearing aid you could hear now. He said, well, to be honest with you, doc, I haven't even told them that I got the hearing aid. 
He, he said, I've just been sitting around for a month listening to all their conversations, and I've changed my will four different times. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we're like his family. We don't think anybody's listening. We don't think anybody's watching our life. And, and this all-seeing God, friends, he does know what we're going through. Here's how much God knows about your situation. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Psalm 56, 8. This is from the Living Bible. God, you keep track of our sorrows. You've collected all my tears in a bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Friends, that's the image of a God. He was so moved by the circumstances of your life that he not only numbers, but he collects every tear. Eric Clapton Years ago, won that Grammy-winning song about the loss of his six-year-old son, Tears in Heaven. And he asked the question, are there tears in heaven? And the answer is, from the scripture, yes. The tears that we shed upon this earth, God has collected them, and there is a bottle in heaven with your name upon it. And every soul-wrenching tear we've shed, God has collected, and he's entered into the suffering of that moment with us. So if you come to me and you say, Bill, nobody knows the hell that I'm going through in my life right now. You're wrong. God does. If you were to say, nobody knows how hard it is, the struggle that I have with depression. Nobody knows the struggle that I'm dealing with, this addiction of mine, this habit that I can't break, this desire or this hurt that I just can't get over. Oh, no. God knows he knows the fear, the brokenness, the loneliness, the hopelessness. Friends, God knows your circumstances. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 10, 30, he's so intimately acquainted with you, he knows the count of the hairs on your head or the freckles as the case may be. There's nothing off the record with God. He knows every time you've blown up. He knows every wound that you've given or received. Hebrews 4.13 says, there's nothing in all of creation that's hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he's the one to whom we must be held accountable. So you say, okay, Bill, I get it. There's a God who sees and knows my circumstances. But even if I were to believe that, where is he? Where's he been in the toughest of my spots of life? Well, here's the second thing you need to believe. God is present in my circumstances. Not only does he know, not only is he aware, he chooses to be present. Have you ever heard someone describe God as omnipresent? I, I know that's a big churchy word, but you'll understand it in the context uh, of sports. Uh, now, Mr. Parrott this morning Asked me where my UK tie was, and I'm not wearing it because yesterday was not a good day for my UK Wildcats. I mean, they got spanked by the Tennessee Volunteers at Rocky Top, okay? But if you listen to the game being called, the announcers talked about their junior guard, Grant Williams. This guy scored 24 points, seven rebounds, all kinds of assists, and he kept saying things like, Williams, he's everywhere on the floor. I mean, he's at both ends of the court. Wherever the ball is, Williams is there. It's almost like he's omnipresent. Well, look what God said about himself. This is in Jeremiah chapter 23. He says, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? 
You see, you could be as quick on your feet as Grant Williams was, but he could only be in one place at a time. Not God. He's the God that could be in the heavens and on this earth at the same time. And the reality is we have a God that is fully knowledgeable of your life and mine, and he's fully present with us in every circumstance. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, and this is the message paraphrase. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb up to the heavens, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. You see, it's not like God parcels out pieces of himself. Part of God isn't in Australia with all his family. Or part of God is attending to Christians over in the Eastern Bloc countries. And, and part of him is in South America. And God parcels a part of him out in Springfield, Ohio. And, and, and maybe even, I know this is a stretch, maybe even part of God goes to Urbana. I don't know. But I mean, it's not like God parcels himself out like that. Because God chooses to be all God everywhere all the time. Now why is that important? Because when I need God, I don't want to find out he's busy in Toledo. <laughs> when I need God in the U.S., I don't want to find out he's backed up taking care of needs in the Middle East. I need a God who can be with me right now. And you can hear it in the Father's plea in Mark 9. Teacher, it's you. i, I, I got to find you. I brought you, my son. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know, the disciples, the crowd... Certainly the, the religious elite that day, they didn't understand the heart and the passion and the presence of God. But I'll tell you, somebody that did that day, the demons did. You know, I don't know if you've ever caught it in James chapter 2, verse 19. It says, you believe in one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, that's why any time in the scripture you see the demons getting close to Jesus, they will cry out against him. They'll plead with him for, for mercy in his presence. They'll acknowledge, I know who you are, son of God. But they're powerless in his presence. Demons believe. Do we? And if we do, do we let that belief lead us not only to listen and believe, do we let it lead us to repent? Do we let it lead us to salvation? This dad said, Jesus, I brought him to you, but I met your disciples first and they couldn't do it. They couldn't drive this demon out of my son. Look back in verse 19. Jesus said, you unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell at the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now before we finish this encounter, I want you to hear that one of the, the consequences of God's omnipresence is that God is with you right now. This past week on Thursday morning, a 48-year-old man passed away, three years younger than me. Do you know what his wife and sons need more than anything right now? Do you know what his mother, what, what his brother, his father, do you know what his niece needs more than anything this morning? 
and tomorrow and next week and next year. They need a God who's with them. Matthew 1.23 revealed the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and you are to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Some of you in your spiritual journey right now, you're having trouble seeing God because of the storm in your life and the clouds are so thick and the fog is so thick you cannot see God and you wonder how can I believe? How can I trust in one that I cannot see? God, are you even there? Well, maybe this little story from a girl named Holly will help you. Robert? If you are on a journey, a spiritual journey, where did it start for you? So I come from a family that really considers ourselves like a real hard luck bunch. We just think we have the worst luck in the world. Like. We always get a pimple on picture day. Always buy a lemon for a car. One time we had some family friends invite us to their rental house in Destin, Florida for like, you know, a dead of winter, you know, hotspot getaway. And we were like, yeah, absolutely. So to save money, we didn't fly down. We decided to make a road trip out of it. So we drive down there, hit all these terrible storms. Half of us got horribly sick. By the time we get there, we don't even want to speak to each other. And of course, Florida is experiencing unseasonably horrible weather course. So we go to this truck stop to buy garbage bags to serve as our rain slickers. And I just had to get away from my family and feel horribly sorry for myself. So I'm walking down the beach wearing this garbage bag. And the ocean, the waves are just dark and it's raining and the sky is hanging so low, just thick, heavy clouds and fog. It's like you can touch the sky. And I'm walking along clutching my garbage bag and I see something down the beach. I was like, what is that? And as I get closer, I see it's a little kid sitting just at the edge of the surf holding this little wooden stick, this kite. He's flying a kite on a day with absolutely no visibility. And I walk up to him and I look at him. He smiles up at me, not seeming to care at all that I was wearing a garbage bag. And there's absolutely no kite to be seen. It's like 20 feet of string and then cloud. And I say to this kid, I'm like, how do you know there's a kite up there, kid? And it was absolutely perfect. He just looked up at me and he smiled and he was like, because I can feel its tug. That boy was onto something. We've all felt the tug of something we couldn't necessarily explain. But isn't that faith? Believing in what you cannot see? How do you know there's a kite up there? The ceiling's so low, all you see is the string. Well, I can feel the tug. The deepest, the widest, the most uncrossable canyon of all time, the deepest and darkest ceiling is the distance created between us and God because of our sinfulness, because of my lack of rightness, and the clouds hang low without God, my plunge into the pit is inevitable. I'm kind of like when the Spartans are pushing back the Persians on the cliffs of Thermopylae. I don't have a choice. It's coming, the fall. A fall from which I can never recover because it's always payday someday. And Romans 6.23 assures us the wages of sin is death. 
But now in this moment and time for all time is the last truth that I want to share with you before we finish. God can save me by believing. You see, Romans 6.23, that verse that said the wages of sin and death has more to say. It says this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we believe and if it makes a difference within our life, even when the fog of life is too great and the clouds are too low to see, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that that tugs, that leads us to repentance. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith then is confidence in what we hope for and it's the assurance of what we do not see. I can't tell you the number of times I have somebody say to me, Bill, it just feels like my prayers are going no higher than the ceiling. (laughs) They don't have to get any higher than the ceiling because God is with you. He's with you. This great God who exists and knows your circumstances. He knows your needs. He's present with you in the midst of it. And I want you to look at how our account ends for this day. Back in Mark chapter 9, down in verse 23, Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And some verses say prayer and, and fasting. You know, when a person checks into rehab, they always have to admit, I've got an issue in my life that I'm just unable to handle. I can't deal with this in my life. I need something greater than myself. Perhaps the thing standing within your way of, of your circumstances and believing that God not only knows and cares and is present, but that he's able to save you if you'll trust in him. Perhaps it's just old fashioned pride. You say, I I don't need God in my life right now. I'm doing fine. You're kind of like the person that jumped off a hundred-story building and you're on your way down and somebody shouts, how are you doing? I'm fine so far. (laughs) If you don't think you need God, friends, you just haven't hit the bottom yet. One time there was a man named Jeremiah who was, he was at one of those low points in the Bible where his circumstances were just overwhelming. And, And he was crying and singing the blues and just down in the dumps, and he experienced the power of God to touch him in his circumstances. And in Jeremiah 32, 17, he said, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Friends, I want you to hear that today. I want you to believe in the reality that nothing is too difficult, nothing is too hard for the all-powerful God of the universe. What's hard is coming to the point in our lives where we admit we need God. We need that power. We need that strength. And and we need to stop and say, what do I believe? Is it worth 
placing my life upon? God, I believe in you. And I believe, God, that you are greater than all my situations, all my circumstances, all my sin. And you know what I find God willing to do? He's always willing to display his supernatural power in our life as we step by step and day by day demonstrate we believe he'll make a way. For some of you tomorrow, it's just a matter of stepping out of your your office or your cubicle and walking down to the cubicle of the person who's got an issue with you. For some of you, it's getting up from the dinner table with family and going into the family room with that one family member that just you know, grates your cheese, and you just sit down and you speak with them. Maybe you pick up the phone today and and you're trusting that as I take this step, God, you're going to give me the right words to say. And you can experience what God has planned for you all along, that God will make a way. You know, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, said this all throughout his gospel. He said things like this. In John chapter 1, Verse 12, he said, to all that received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you believe? John eleven twenty six. 26, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 20, 31, about his whole book, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing... You can have life in his name. Today, maybe you just feel like the father in Mark 9. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So I ask you this morning, with all the passion in my heart, have you listened to the good news of Jesus? And do you believe he is who he claimed to be? That he's with you, that he knows, and that he can save you. Will you respond? The greatest verse in all of Scripture, in, in John's Scripture, is John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have life everlasting. Would you stand with me this morning? And let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, there are so many voices in this schizophrenic world of ours that that tell us, believe me, believe me. I'm telling you the truth, but the reality is their motives are not pure and they're not telling the truth. And believing in anything else is like sitting in a chair whose legs are are half sawed off. It's going to crash. You're the only one who backed up everything you said with miracle, with eyewitness testimony, with the validity of real truth. And you said if we knew that truth, if we believed that truth, it could set us free. Father, this is a time where, spiritually speaking, we all want to hear some chains start to drop. Perhaps for someone in this room, Lord, they've not only listened but you've planted that seed of belief within them. And now they wonder, what, what's my next step? It's to share that belief, to confess your name. Father, we're going to talk about that next week. But as well, it's a time to just repent and change life from the past. To, to do that complete turnaround. 
and say, my life that was once lived for me or lived for my spouse or my family or my job, all of that now, I, I give it up because all of my life now is about Jesus. Maybe for someone this morning, it's time to take the next step and say, I'm ready to be baptized. I want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that my sins have been forgiven, washed away, that I have the indwelling power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know you're working in the hearts of your people today because you love them. As high as the heavens are above the earth, you love them. And you made a way where there was no way. So, Father, would you just give them courage to respond now, whatever need you placed on their heart, in Jesus' name.